Father, thank you again for another opportunity to be together, to sing your praises, to declare your excellencies, to magnify Christ. Father, we thank you for your son who died for us. And we thank you for your love and kindness in sending him. And Father, we pray as we look into your word today that you would till the soil of our hearts, that uh, we would be receptive to receive your word and allow it to do its work in us. And those who don't know you, Lord God, that you would prepare the soil, that they would be ready to receive the truth concerning your son, that they might be saved. We thank you for this time. We commit it to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that he created all things. And within this physical creation of his, which he designed, which he created, there are many different illustrations that he reveals in his word, reveals some spiritual realities. Today we're going to see one of those illustrations concerning the parable of the sower. We're going to see that the Lord likens the soil of our hearts as to the soil in the ground. And we're going to see that that soil needs to be prepared rightly to receive the gospel. And within this, we're going to see what kind of response we should see from the gospel. We're going to see there are different responses from different people based on the soil of their hearts. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 23. Matthew 13, verses 18 to 23. Now, again, the, briefly the context of the book of Matthew we see that Matthew is about King Jesus, the Messiah. Matthew is about the Son of God who took on human flesh to save his people from their sins. Matthew is about the King of kings and Lord of lords who came to the Jewish people, who came to his own. They would call the Lord their God. And yet these Jews were in sin. They were sitting in darkness. And yet having the way graciously prepared by John the Baptist we see that he came to those sitting in a, dark light, in, a, in, a, in a dark world, dark with sin, and that he enlightened them to the truth. Jesus came and he taught and preached the kingdom was at hand. And within that, he is the king. He called upon them to repent and believe the gospel in regards to himself, to believe in him. Now Jesus taught and preached the kingdom, and then he affirmed that teaching with the miraculous to show that who he was and what he said was absolutely true. Now within that, as we move through the book of Matthew, coming to chapter 10, we see that he instructs his disciples and sends them out in the midst of a sea of lost souls. Very interesting because the Jews would name the Lord as their God, but yet there was a sea of lost souls. And then in chapters 11 and 12, we begin to see the outright rejection of the king from the Jews and opposition becoming clearly manifest. Indeed, the Lord Jesus compared the present generation, one to whom he had been ministering for some three years, to, uh, to, to a bunch of children who get upset when, when the game is not played the way they want to play. And then he outright brought condemnation on the unrepentant cities that had seen the miraculous, that had heard the truth, and said their judgment would ultimately be, be worse, stricter than that of Sodom and Gomorrah because they did not repent. And the king was in their midst. And on the heels of that condemnation, we see in chapter 12, the religious leaders trying to trap Jesus, trying to, to set him up as a Sabbath breaker. And within that, they began to plot how to destroy him. And then we see that Jesus clearly relays that these, uh, after, after uh, casting out a demon, clearly relays that these leaders have committed the unpardonable sin that they had basically attributed to Satan the work of the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ in their midst. They had blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And therefore, Jesus shared concerning the evil and adulterous generation that even uh, the, the men of Nineveh would rise up and condemn it. We see that. And then he gave a terrifying illustration of the demonic in the end of chapter 12. Uh, where their last state is worse than their first because they cleaned themselves up religiously, really pointing to the Jews, 
cleaned themselves up religiously and thus were that much more evil. And then coming into the end of chapter 12, we see that his family wanted him to stop what he was doing, to see him. And he said, who are my mother and my brother and my sisters? Those who do the will of my father who is in heaven or as he shares in Luke, who obey the word of God. So with this in mind, we came to the parable of the sower last week. And then within this parable, Jesus then explains why he is speaking in parables and then explains the parable to his disciples. So last week we saw specifically the first portion. So let's review what we saw last week. So let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to read through our passage first in verses 18 to 23. And Bob has already read what leads up to that. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Matthew 13, verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. And the one in whom seed was sown on rocky places, this man, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one whom seed is sown among thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one in whom seed is sown on good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it and in it, who, who indeed bears fruit, brings forth some 100-fold 60 and some 30. Now I want to review the context which we looked at last week and we'll just briefly touch on it. But we need to understand what's going on here in the book of Matthew. If you'll remember, we go back to verse 1 in chapter 13. It says, On that day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Verse 2, And great multitudes were gathered by, to him. So he got in a boat and sat down. And the whole multitude, multitude was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables. Now, we talked about parables, the Greek word parable. You could, you could break it down into its parts. You can't always do that with words, but with this one you can. Para, alongside, bole, to throw. And it speaks of an illustration that is thrown alongside to, to help illumine something. Now, within this, the parable really has no meaning within itself unless it is explained, as we will see, as you'll see. Otherwise, it's just an illustration by itself, unless it's explained how it applies to reality. Now, I need to warn you as we look at parables to be careful not to take every little nuance and try to figure out what's going on in every little piece. There's an intended meaning in the context of the parable, which we'll see the Lord Jesus reveal today. Now, at this point, as I shared last week, it's crucial to understand that Jesus begins speaking, to parable, speaking in parables to the people at this time. Indeed, remember up to this point in the book of Matthew, you will not find a parable. The Lord Jesus had been clearly preaching and teaching and healing. Look back in chapter 4, verse 23. And by the way, these passages I'm going to share with you in 423 and 935, they are bookends to the Sermon on the Mount and then the miracles that affirm what Jesus shares concerning himself and what he shared the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And then scooch up to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. We have a very similar statement. And Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease every, and every kind of sickness. His message had been centered around repentance because the kingdom was at hand, or the king was at hand. Kingdoms are, are led by kings, and Jesus Christ is the king, the Messiah, the king of kings and Lord of Lords. And so in our passage, it says in verse 1, on that day. Well, what day was it? There was a lot of things that had happened that day. But if you look back in chapter 12, I want to read some of those things. Look at chapter 12, verse 39. This is the same day in which Jesus begins to speak in parables. 
But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves a sign, yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was, was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The, those people repented when Jonah preached and yet Christ is in their midst and this generation is not repenting. And then he says, the queen of the south shall rise up with this generation at the judgment. By the way, there is judgment time. And he says here, and shall condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And then he gives this chilling illustration which speaks of that generation that rejected him. Now, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and it does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes out and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go and live there, and the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it also, also will also be with this evil generation. These Jews, uh, the nation of Israel, were disciplined by the Lord and exiled. And they came back and they seemed to clean up their act. There wasn't outright idolatry. There wasn't all that stuff that was there before they were exiled. And yet they were that much more wicked because they were still in their sins. And now they were very religious and still in their sins. Very serious thing. And so they were that much more wicked and that much more culpable. And Christ was in their midst and he shared that they were an evil and adulterous generation. And so in our passage it says, on that day. So he began to speak in parables on that day. Now in Mark chapter 3 verse 23, it shows that he actually began speaking earlier that day. But it's on the same day he began to speak in parables. This was a sad day for the Jews. God was in their midst... He was clearly revealing himself, no, nothing hidden, clearly revealing himself and the need for salvation and trusting in him. And he affirmed that truth with the miraculous and they were to respond in repentance and faith and yet they did not. And so from this point, we don't see any longer in the book of Matthew, Jesus clearly teaching the multitudes. He is retracting the truth from them that they would, as we see, go on to their judgment. Now, last week we saw verses 3 to 9, the parable of the sower. And today we're going to see the explanation of that. Now, after he shared the parable, and we'll look at each piece as we look at the explanation, so we'll look at that in a minute, his disciples come to him. Do you remember this from last week? Verse 10. And the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? Why are you speaking in a, in a hidden way in parables? Why are you doing this? And if you'll remember when you read through that parable, you really can't understand the meaning without an explanation, by the way. So why? And what was his answer? Verse 11, And he said and answered and said to them, To you, speaking of the disciples, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, that, that's the multitudes, the evil generation that had rejected his truth, to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him shall be given, more given, more be given, and he who has an abundance, and he shall have an abundance, excuse me. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. And I shared this. This is the true haves and the true have-nots. The reality is, God is sovereign over his word and who receives it. And very clearly, they had rejected it, and so the Lord God is taking away what they did have from them. And those who are truly his, he's increasing that truth, as we'll see. And we're going to be privy to that today, in which he blesses us with an explanation of what he is talking about. And he says in verse 13, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in, the, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. And, and here's the reason why. Here's the reason why that God is going to veil his truth from them. Look at it. Verse 15, for the heart of this people has become dull or thickened. 
It's become hardened. And with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I should heal them. Mark sharing the same portion says in verse chapter 4, verse 12, or be forgiven, that they should be forgiven. We see here the responsibility falls upon those who have rejected the truth. Jesus had been in their midst for three years. They had hardened their hearts, closed their ears and their eyes to the truth. God was in their midst. They could see God in human flesh. They could hear the word of God from the God of the word. And they had rejected it. So the Lord God was pulling away his truth from them. A very scary thought. A very scary thought. Friend, you don't want to get to this point in hardening your heart towards the truth of God where God begins to veil it from you. And if you don't think this happens, it clearly happens. We saw this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul in that portion is defending himself to the Corinthians who are, who are at odds with him because false teachers have influenced their thinking towards him. We see that in chapter 11. And in chapter 4, in defending himself, he says, And if our gospel is veiled... Hey, if no one's seeing it, you're making the claim no one's getting saved? Okay, if it's veiled and no one is seeing it, he says it is veiled to those who are perishing. That's eternal perishing, by the way. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. You see, there's a certain point where God will allow you to be, have your mind blinded by Satan. That's a pretty scary thought, where you will go on to your, 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 your judgment. Now, we don't know when that happens, and we don't presume anything. We don't know the hearts, but this is a warning from God himself through his word. It is not God's fault in this life that anyone leaves this earth unforgiven. He shares the word. It's clear. It's open. You're convicted. If you reject that conviction, God will allow you to be hardened unto your judgment. So why is he speaking in parables? These Jews had been given so much truth and they had rejected it. They had God in their midst. And so now he's concealing it from this evil and adulterous generation that would not repent. Would not repent. We're going to see that repentance is key in, in, in receiving the truth of the gospel. There's so many gospels out there these days, false gospels, that just talk about Jesus is good, this and that. You know, Adam in, he's going to be great. It doesn't talk about the reason why you need Jesus. Because there is judgment coming. And God is gracious having sent his son to die for our sins in our place. So then last week we saw in verse 16, in contrast to this, these who are going to have are having things hidden from them now. God in their midst is no longer declaring things openly to them. Very sad day. In contrast to that, he says in verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. And he explains, for, he's explaining, for truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. You are so blessed, disciples. They desired to see what you're seeing. I'm in your midst. Did they hear what you're hearing? The word of God from the God of the word. And they didn't hear it. But you are blessed. You are blessed, disciples. And then we come to our passage where he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. On the context of the blessing for those who can actually hear, not those who are hardened unto their judgment, but those who can hear. Hear then. Listen. And it's very interesting. God wants believers to understand this truth. We are privy to the mysteries of God. This mystery concerning the hearts of people and how, and how they respond to the word of God. And he wants us to understand this. Hear then the parable of the sower. So with that, we come into the parable. Now before we look at the parable, specifically the explanation of it in our verses here, um, I want to make some initial observations. And you have notes in your, in your bulletins, and I've given you a list of these, so uh, feel free to go over that or not, whatever is convenient for you. But some initial observations that are helpful in interpreting this, this parable helpful in understanding what the Lord is intending and saying. 
First of all, and the most obvious observation is that there are four types of soil in this parable. And these soils represent four types of hearers of the word, or four types of hearts, basically. And we see this throughout the parable. The second observation I think is very important, that the issue at hand is not sanctification, the issue is salvation. The issue is salvation. One's response to the gospel. Remember, the parable of the sower is also found in Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8. And turn to Luke 8, just keep your finger in there, and I want you to read in verse 8. Verse, want to read with me verse 8, verse 12, chapter 8, verse 12. Actually, we'll go back to verse 11. The issue is salvation. The issue is salvation. Luke chapter 8, we'll start with verse 11. And this is the explanation here from, from, from Luke sharing. Now, it's interesting. People think that Jesus said one thing once and that's it. There's situations where the Lord probably repeated teaching in different areas of the same things that he shared. And here in Luke, we have this declaration. Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And those besides the road are those who have heard... Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not, what? Believe and be saved. It's about salvation. It's about responses to the gospel in regards to salvation. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's about one's response to the word of God and thus salvation. We need to keep that in mind third observation back in our little notes here is it is the word of god that is sown it is the word of god the seed is the word of god not someone's explanation not someone's illustration it is the word of god that is sown look at verse 19 when anyone hears the word of the kingdom middle of verse 20 this man is the man who hears the word Middle of 22, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world. He goes on. And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Middle of 23, this is the man who hears the word and does and understands it. And what I just read in Luke 8, 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is, Jesus says, the word of God. We've got to remember that. It's the word of God. And folks, it is the word of God. And here we have the word of the kingdom, the word of God, the gospel of the kingdom. And clearly we see that God uses his word as the means in which he convicts and brings about salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, if you look at uh, 1 Peter chapter, well, I'll read it for you. You can note it down. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23. He says, for you have been born again of seed not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. You got saved, and the seed that brought it about was imperishable. That is, the living and abiding word of God. For all grass is like flesh, and the glory of the grass, the flower, and the, its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was discussed with you, which was preached to you, which was preached to you. James chapter 118, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. God uses the word to bring about changed hearts. When we believe, we are saved. When we believe the gospel. James 121, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, not some independent act of the Spirit beforehand. The Spirit convicts, but the Spirit uses the gospel at that moment to convict, to bring about the knowledge of sin and the Savior, Jesus Christ. God uses the word, and this parable is about the word being sown and about the hearts that receive or do not receive it or appear to receive it. Now, Jesus had been clearly preaching repentance for the kingdom is at hand. Clearly, repentance for the kingdom is at hand. John the Baptist was preparing the way, 
And we're going to see that the soil needs to be tilled. It needs to be prepared. It needs to be prepared. It needs to be right to receive the word. The condition of the soil is paramount in the reception of the word of God. So with that in mind, we see in the fourth, fourth observation here, the word is sown reaching the heart. Look at this. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. The word gets to your mind, your heart and mind. It is in this parable that it reaches the heart. We see in Luke chapter 8 again, verse 11, I'll read it for you. And those beside the road are those who have heard. And the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart. From their heart. It's not a matter of whether it gets to one's heart. It's a matter of whether it penetrates, as we'll see. It's a matter of it penetrates. And is ultimately understood bearing true fruit of repentance and salvation. Next observation, all four of the examples here hear the word and respond in different manners. And we're going to see that the first three are not saved, the last one is. And we'll talk about that. And then it's interesting, another interesting observation is that out of the four, one is never identified with true believers. There's outright rejection. Two identify as believers. One falls away, is not a believer. One stays identifying as a believer, but isn't a believer. And then the last one is a true believer in which fruit has been born through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you have one unfruitful make-believer who apostatizes and one unfruitful make-believer who remains with Christ. Very interesting. And as you look down... The last uh, note here is coming up to it, but note nine. Fruit is the evidence of genuine saving faith. The Lord Jesus is giving this parable, and he is explaining it. He is giving it to us who have ears to hear that are blessed to understand this is the evidence of something truly changed in these lives. If the word of God has taken root in the heart and one has been saved. So with this in mind... Uh, let's, with our initial observations here, we have back in verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. It is a command to the, those who have blessed ears and eyes. It is a command to believers. Hear them. God wants us to understand the mystery of what goes on when the gospel goes to the heart of different people. We can't see the hearts, but he does. It is a command, listen up, listen up. Hear then the parable of the sower. So with this in mind, let's take a look at the explanation. I want to go back to the middle of verse 3 where we have the first part, and then I'll give Jesus his explanation. Look at middle of verse 3. Behold, a sower went out to sow, verse 4, and he sowed some seeds, and sowed, and some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. That's, that's the illustration. That's the parable. And then Jesus uh, takes this simple illustration which can't really be understood and explains what it is in verse 19. Here's the explanation. Here then the parable of the sower, verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, or as Luke says, the word of God, or the, the, wor- the word, he says, and does not understand the, the kingdom of God, excuse me, the word of kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one whose seed was thrown beside the road. Very interesting. They hear the gospel, the word of the kingdom, and notice how they're described, and does not understand it. Does not understand it. This first group, the word is sown in their hearts, yet there is no understanding. They don't understand truly their need to be saved, their need to repent of their sins because judgment is coming. They don't truly understand the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. They hear the word, they do not understand it. The term understanding spoke of the joining of two rivers, the idea of of coming to an understanding. This one doesn't understand it. But why don't they understand it? Remember, he's speaking of that which fell beside the road. He's speaking of compact dirt. Their hearts were hard. It was like a road that had been traveled on and stomped on. The dirt was hard. 
They hear the word, and because they have a hardened heart, they don't understand it. And notice, he says, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in their heart. Satan comes and blinds the minds of the unbelieving. Very serious thing. You see, God reveals himself. He reveals himself through his general revelation. And men suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Romans chapter 1. They begin to harden their hearts. And the same is true concerning his special revelation in his word. The Jews were a perfect illustration of this. They had the Lord Jesus among them, and yet their hearts became dull. They became hard to the truth. And if you are hard to the truth, the illustration here is when the gospel comes, it hits a hard, stony heart, or a hard, compact heart. And you're not going to understand because of sin. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I want to remind you what Jesus said in Matthew 13, 15. For the heart of this people has become dull. You don't want to get a hard heart, friends. You don't want to have a hard heart because you won't respond to the gospel. And you'll go all the way to your eternal judgment. You don't want a hard heart. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't harden your mind to the truth of what is being told to you. As when they provoked me, in, as in the day of the, trial, of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. They saw the truth of God and the God of the truth through that. Therefore, I was angry with that generation. I said, they always go astray in their heart. And that's the heart. And they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, lest there should be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another as long as it, day after day, as long as it's called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin hardens our hearts. And if you have a hard heart, the gospel doesn't penetrate. You see, if you don't believe you're a sinner and you love your sin, then there's no repentance and you can hear the gospel all day long. You can raise your hand to it if you want. If you don't recognize your sinfulness in need of a Savior, that truth gets stolen away from you by Satan because your heart is not receptive. Very scary thing. When one hears the word, verse 19, back in chapter 13 of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches what has been sown in his heart. This is the one whose seed has been thrown beside the road. It's thrown on, on solid, packed ground. Packed ground. Now, the evil one, he's speaking of Satan, the devil, he comes, and you could literally say he forcibly grabs the truth which was sown in the heart. Very serious. How does he do this? I believe he does it in multiple ways. We know he's the God of this world. He uses worldly philosophies to contradict and steal away the truth. We know he disguises himself as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11. We false teachers come away with wicked deceptions that, that, that contradict the truth and steal it away. If you have a hardened, unrepentant heart, you are at the mercy of Satan. And there's no mercy. He will steal away the truth further so that you will not be saved. Look at Luke 8 again. Look at Luke 8. Luke 8, verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God, and those, those beside the road and those are those who have heard. Then the devil comes along, comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. Wow. They've had their minds hardened uh, by Satan, by the God of this world, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. If you are sitting here today and you do not understand the gospel, it's quite possible your heart is compacted, it is hardened. And I would pray for God's mercy, soften my heart, help me to see my sinfulness. Be merciful upon me, O God, that I would see how sinful I am and my need for the Savior. Break the hardened heart heart of mine i pray you do that and god can do that god can do that turn to ezekiel chapter 36 
the Israelites are hardened hearts, and ultimately when he saves Israel in the end of the tribulation, not all Israel of all time, but all at that, at that time, he's going to give them a new heart. You see, when one turns to Christ, the veil is taken away. If you turn to Christ, Lord God, soften my heart. He'll take it away. He'll take away the hardness that you can understand and believe in the gospel. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God can give you a soft heart to receive the gospel and be saved. If you're willing to humble yourself before the Lord, acknowledge you don't believe. I don't believe these things. Acknowledge you don't believe. Soften my heart, Lord God, that I would believe the truth. That I would believe the truth. If you want to humble yourself, show me how awful I am. Show me how sinful I am, Lord God. Show me. So then we have the first example in, our, in the parable being explained, and it is a warning to those with hard hearts that you are at the mercy of Satan, which there's, there's no mercy at all. And he will steal away the word continually so that you will not believe and be saved, as Jesus says in Luke 8. Now what about the second group of people Jesus speaks about in the parable? I believe these are hearers with unrepentant, superficial hearts that initially receive it and receptively, but fall away, revealing where they truly stand with the Lord. Uh, now back in chapter 13, verse 5, here's the original parable, and then I'll read the explanation. It says in verse 5, And others fell upon rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. Okay, so we have the seed falls on rocky soil. And there's not much depth, just a tiny bit of soil, enough for a surface growth, but no depth. And look at verse 6. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root in them, they withered away. Well, what does the sun do to plants that are healthy? It grow, they grow, right? Here, no, there's no root. It dies when the sun comes upon them. Simple analogy. Then look at Jesus' explanation in chapter 13, verse 20. And now he's explaining. Here then the parable of the sower. And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Wow, praise the Lord. Yet has no firm root in himself, but is, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Rocky Places speaks of a heart which has no depth. It, it, it's no depth. There's, there's, there's a mixture of things. The, the soil is not prepared to receive, as we'll see. It is only surface. It's only surface. And this man, receiving the word, immediately receives it with joy, the true gospel. <coughs> but this receiving is only external. That's what the Greek word says. It's, it's, not a, it's not a welcome mat. He receives it. I believe. I believe the truth. Praise the Lord. But there are those who believe, but yet do not believe. What do I mean by that? They come to an acceptance of the facts of the gospel, rejoice over it immediately, they believe, but as we will see, they have not truly repented because the ground of their heart is stony and shallow. Some of you are saying, wait a second, how can someone believe and not be saved? Yes, there is one true, genuine saving faith, but there is also a type of faith in a sense that doesn't save. And it's really not faith at all. Let me share some passages. Turn to James chapter 2. Some people have a belief. They have an acknowledgement of the facts of the gospel and their need for salvation and that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for their sins. They believe that. But their heart is stony. It is, it is not, the, the gospel is not penetrated into the heart. It's only on the surface. It's superficial. It's superficial. James chapter 2, verse 14. He says, What use is it, my brethren... If a man says he has faith but has no works, can that faith save him? Saving faith, by the way. If a brother or sister is in, without clothing in need of daily food and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? 
Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone may say, you have faith and I have works. I'll show, you, show me your faith without works. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Or faith without fruit, as we're going to see. It's useless because it's not genuine faith. It's not saving faith. You may believe the premise of the gospel, but if your heart is not able to be penetrated concerning your sin, it's just the surface. And notice what happens. And notice what happens. He immediately sees it with joy, end of verse 20, yet has no firm root and set himself, but it is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution because of the word arises, immediately he falls away. He has no root within himself. It's rocky. His heart is not received the word. It is only temporary. And immediately when affliction or persecution arises, the term falls away here is scandalazo. It speaks of something like a, a piece of bait on a trap that would make you trip up and fall. Immediately he falls. You see, if you identify with Christ, you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're not saved, guess what? If you're obeying his word externally, there's actually affliction and things that might come for obeying God. And within that, when that comes, this type of heart immediately trips up. And then if you look in, I'll read it for you in Luke 8. It talks about uh, Luke 8, verse 13. And those who fall on rocky soil are those who hear and receive the word with joy. They have no firm root. They believe for a while. They believe for a while. And in time of temptation, fall away. In Luke, he uses the same word that we get our word apostasy from. They fall away. They become apostates. They turn away from Christ. They no longer identify with Christ. They are apostates. They said they believed. They said they were Christians. They said they were following him. They rejoiced, but they really weren't saved. And when the difficulty for identifying with Christ comes, they immediately fall away because the gospel never penetrated their heart because the soil was rocky, was rocky. Very serious, very serious. So you have one here. And we have examples of apostasy in Scripture. It's very serious. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. There are some of you here who believe for a while, will believe for a while, and later on you'll just turn away completely when the difficulty for identifying with Christ actually comes upon your life. That's the type of person who, who, who we see a response to the gospel. Hebrews chapter 6, he says for, in verse 4, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, been partakers of the Holy Spirit, and tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, these people heard the truth. The Spirit of God convicted them. They rejoiced, whatever it might be. They believed it outwardly. They identified with the church. And then what does it say? And then have fallen away, apostatized. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they crucify themselves to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. They turn away and they don't come back, by the way. They don't come back. We see in 1 John that there were those who were of us and they really were not of us because they, if they were of us, they would have remained with us. Those who turn away from so-called faith in Jesus who no longer believe, they never were saved because their heart did not truly receive the word so as to be saved. So as to be saved. So, so far we've seen the hardened heart that immediately rejects the word. We've seen the, the stony heart that, that receives it superficially and, and joyfully, but yet falls away immediately when there's genuine difficulty for Christ. If you are that, I, I pray to God, break up my stony heart that I might truly see my sinfulness and my true need for Savior Jesus Christ. Please, before it's too late. Before, before it's too late. And then there's the third one, which is the most dangerous of all, by the way, that Jesus is saying, hear then the parable of the sower. Listen up, believers. It's to his disciples. 
Remember back in verse 7 of chapter 13, and others fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. Simple analogy. Seeds went among the thorns. The thorns are there, choked out the seed. No growth, no life, right? And then Jesus describes this, and he explains this in verse 22. And the one whom the seed was sown among thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. Again, a simple analogy. The Lord compares the heart uh, of the hearer to the soil. And notice what happens. He says it, the, seatful, the worry of the world, deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it what? Becomes unfruitful. Unfruitful. Now what's interesting is we're going to see this, that I, the NESB usually translates things pretty well, but this phrase, it becomes unfruitful, literally you could translate it, it is continually without fruit. It doesn't become unfruitful as though it was fruitful. It is continually without fruit. That's what's helpful in, in understanding this passage. Now, some would say that this is speaking of a believer, and I absolutely disagree. And I'll share that. Because the word is acting on the heart. The whole parable is about saving faith. About saving faith. And folks, true believers, as we will see, will bear forth fruit. This person in whom this comes upon him, comes upon him bears no fruit. You see, God's word changes those who truly respond. Look down at uh, verse 23, and we'll see this in a minute, but I want to go there right now to look at it. And the one whom seed sown on good soil, that's visibly good, it's good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, and indeed bears fruit, brings forth some some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. God's word concerning Christ changes those who respond in faith. You are born again. You are a new creation in Christ. It is through the instrumentality of the Word of God that one becomes saved through the knowledge of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Fruit is absolutely necessary, a necessary reality to show one's truly saved. We'll see that. Look back in Matthew chapter 3. There's a lot of passages about this. Matthew chapter 3. This is John the Baptist sharing in verse 7. But when he saw that many of the Pharisees and Sadducees saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Verse 8 of Matthew 3. Therefore bring fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, God is able, to, from, able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Very interesting. Go to Luke chapter 6. You see, if you're truly saved, you're going to bear some fruit. You're going to bear some fruit. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. You're going to reflect the nature of the person you are now in. It's going to happen. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. Jesus says, For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure of, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks that which fills his heart. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And then he gives the illustration. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, acts upon them, same, same Greek word, I will show you what he's like. It talks about the one who's built on the rock versus the one on the sand. Fruit is evidence of genuine saving faith. Obedience to the Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Look at uh, chapter 26 of Acts, verse 19. And by the way, fruit is not religious actions, by the way. The, the Pharisees were full of outward hypocritical religious actions. Fruit is a manifestation of the character of Christ in the context of obedience. 
You can have all kinds of people all religious, but if they, they don't have a genuine, true love for the body of Christ, as we'll see, and obedience to his word, it's not genuine fruit. Acts 26, verse 19. This is Paul before Agrippa. He says, Consequently, Agrippa, King Agrippa, Acts 26, 19. I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring to both those in Damascus first and also in Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. You're not saved by your deeds. It's going to manifest if you've repented and turned to God. One last passage. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. Those of you who are with us in our study in 1 John, the, the clear example of obedience in 1 John is, is, is obeying his commands. Chapter 5 is loving one another. A genuine love manifests in the obedience to his word. To his word. Look at uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And, we, and by this we know we have come to know Jesus. Hey, I've really come to know Jesus. If we keep his commandments those are his commands not the ten commandments it's his commands if we obey his word we can know we've come to and i'm talking about not external religiousness but from the heart a genuine saving faith that brings about obedience to his word and notice what he says the one who says i've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is what a liar and the truth is not in him but whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. In the third type of soil, this heart condition, back to our passage, there's no fruit. There's no fruit. This is about fruit. The last one brings forth a crop of 30, 60, 100 fold. It is about evidence based on a heart change. There's no fruit. There's no fruit. We saw in James chapter 2, can my, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but has no works, can that faith save him? If there's no change in your life, Christ-led obedience, is your faith really faith, saving faith? If you have no evidence of, of a changed life, is the faith you claim to have really saving faith? Or maybe it has fallen on soil that was not fully prepared. Back in our passage, verse 22, And the one whom seed was sown among thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and it, it, it becomes unfruitful. It's continually unfruitful. Notice he says the worry of the world, or the worry of this age, and the deceitfulness of thrift, riches. These are the thorns that choke out the truth of the gospel in the life of one who isn't truly saved, who claims to be saved. Chokes it out. This person has a worldly divided heart. They love the world and they're deceived by wealth. They've not repented of their focus on these things. The soil of their heart is thorny. The third type of soil is the heart that is unrepentant because they're still caught up in the cares of this world. That's what's driving them and the reality of the deceitfulness of riches. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's not there. He says here, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Turn back to Matthew chapter 6. You can't serve two masters. If you are caught up in the worries of this world and money and you can't heard the gospel and those things are still there when you heard the gospel, you didn't give over your life to Christ and trust him completely, recognizing you're a sinner, that money's not going to do it for you, he's going to take care of things, you didn't trust him? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure upon earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where neither thieves break in or steal. Matthew 6:21. For where your treasure is, notice this, there will be your heart also. If you heard the gospel and you are still focused on money and this worldly things, it's not going to penetrate. 
And the worst thing is you might think you're saved and you might continue in that as we see in the illustration. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, you're not seeing yourself rightly, you're not seeing your sin rightly, your whole body will be full of what? Darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? He's talking to religious people. No one can serve two masters, for either one will hate one or love the other, or he will hold the one despise you. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't get saved if you're still focused on money and the world and stuff. You've got to give it up and trust the Lord. Turn to him completely. Recognize your sin. When it happens here, back, it says, The one who hears the word and the worry of the world, deceitfulness of riches, choke out the word. And it continually is without fruit. If you got saved and that focus never changed, I would question whether you got saved. Because when you come to Jesus Christ, he changes our hearts. Yes, we can be tempted with all these things, no doubt about it, day in and day out. But this person, these things, choke out the word, and there's no fruit. What's the best example of this in Scripture? Well, he's standing right there listening to Jesus. It's Judas. Although he appears to be like the one in a rocky soil having fallen away later on, he also typifies this suit, this soil. He never bore any fruit. He loved money. He was a worldly man that cared about riches, so much so he betrayed Christ. The gospel didn't penetrate Judas's heart because the love of money, the deceitfulness of riches, choked it out. If you have not confessed your sinfulness concerning money and your love of the world and all the stuff, if you haven't come humbly before the Lord to receive a Savior, maybe you haven't been saved. Maybe you haven't. Judas never bore any fruit. He hung with Christ for three years. Looked like someone who followed him. No one even knew who the one was going to betray him was out of the disciples. And no one knows your heart except for God. Was your heart like this when you supposedly got saved? I would examine yourself. We've seen three types of soil, all reflecting the unrepentant. This is for those who can hear to hear. And yet we see the last type of soil is one that has a prepared heart. Look at verse uh, 8, and then we'll go to verse 23. And others fell on good soil, and it yielded a crop, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then the explanation, chapter 13, verse 23. And the one whose seed was sown <coughs> on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, and indeed bears fruit, brings forth some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. The term good, kalos in Greek, not only speaks of morally good, it speaks of beautiful the soil is beautiful. If you know anything about soil and planting, you know you don't throw your seeds on, on rocks. You don't throw your seeds on a packed ground. You don't throw your seeds in the thorns. It's not going to grow. It's not going to produce fruit. You throw it on the area that has been prepared. This is good soil. The heart, of the, the heart is, is prepared. And how is the heart prepared? We see throughout Scripture that John the Baptist prepared the way. Repentance. You've got to see your sinfulness. You've got to see how sinful you really are. And when your heart is ready, you're going to understand your need for salvation and that Jesus Christ died for you. Thrown on good soil. This is the man who hears the word and understands it. I need a savior. I am a sinner. I'm going to judgment. I'm so wretched. Lord God, save me. You died for me on the cross. I believe. I believe. And the one who's truly saved will truly bear fruit. And these numbers are, are, are incredible. Most crops would bear, I mean, eightfold was an incredible harvest. He's saying 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. When the heart's prepared, when it's soft, when it's ready to receive the truth, it understands. It understands. I understand I am a sinner. I understand I need a Savior. I am in deep eternal trouble. I deserve judgment. 
but I thank you, you died for my sins on the cross. Where was your heart when you heard the gospel and claimed to be saved? Where was your heart? Jesus gives us four specific specific examples. We've seen today, first of all, the, the one in which there's an outright rejection because it's hardened. We've seen the other one where because it's stony, it doesn't grow, it appears to grow, but immediately when difficulty comes for following Christ, it apostatizes. We've seen the one that had the worry of the world and riches encroaching when the gospel came and it didn't penetrate to bring about that which would bear forth fruit. And we've seen the one that bore good fruit. Lord Jesus says, hear then the parable of the sower. Father, I thank you for your word. You are so kind and so merciful. And I pray that you are tilling the hearts of those here who don't know you. I pray that you work through the stone and the, the rock and the, and the weeds, that you, you rip those out by your spirit through your word, that you soften the hearts of anyone here who has not truly been saved, that they would be ready to understand and receive the truth concerning their sinfulness and their need to repent and believe in your son. Lord God, anyone here who is recognizing that they are hardened and not willing yet to repent, I pray that they would pray, Lord God, soften my heart, prepare my heart to receive the truth. And I pray they would. And Lord God, for those of us who are saved, this is spoken to us. Hear then the parable of the sower. Lord, you want us to understand these mysteries and these truths. I thank you for what we've seen today. Thank you that you came upon us through your word, revealing your son, and you saved us. Thank you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name.